but it is my privilege to to serve you by preaching the word to you. So uh, um, I'm going to share with you from uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel in chapter 1. And I'm going to talk to you about suffering. Oh, suffering, but suffering really when it's not your fault. Now we often suffer. We suffer in different, different situations and we suffer when it is our fault. We do certain things and it is our fault and we suffer. But I'd like to talk to you about this morning when we suffer when it's not our fault. Um, and just as an illustration, I think God organized in such a way. I've had a brilliant time this week meeting with Jonathan and his family and, and many other people. It was especially lovely uh, one afternoon with a whole, we had a whole day with, I had a whole day with Jonathan, meeting with him, chit-chatting with him. It was really great. Had a super meal and then Jonathan uh, planned a very special time for me to go and see the cricket match. So uh, we were there waiting at the bus stop for the cricket, to go to the cricket match which is at, uh, where was this at? Ed's Baston. Alright. So it was at this place and uh, we were waiting at the bus stop and John said the bus is about to come now. And we were waiting and I was pretty cool and waiting. Jonathan was beginning to suffer when it is not his fault there. The bus! Where is this bus? He was wondering where is it? Five minutes? It's supposed to come. It's written over there. Bus comes in every 12 minutes. 15 minutes pass and there's no bus. And we're chit-chatting and just kind of, you know, trying to waste the time away. And the bus is not coming. 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. And Jonathan is just suffering out there, embarrassed. You know, he's, just, he's, he's kind of showing me, Sydney, there is a bus. It does come, really. But he's, so, he's in agony out there. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, he said, I think, let's forget the bus. Let's go walking. And then he starts walking away. And then it's my turn to start suffering when it's not my fault. And I'm busy walking away after him. And he says, well, my wife tells me I need to walk a little slower. But he's not slowing down. He's... <laughs> but he's been... It was a good time. We had a lovely meal. It was a good cricket match. The match was uh, nice and close. And it was lovely. Lovely meal afterwards with Johnson and the family. I've really enjoyed meeting him and getting to know him and meeting many of you over this time. So, Brian, but suffering when it's not your fault, this is, this is really uh, small stuff. But there are other bigger stuff that we go through. Tough ones. I was uh, watching the news where I saw um, seven bodies of people coming back from Afghanistan. And you saw the, the families of those people. They were troubled. They were in agony. They were in pain. And you wonder, no fault of this mother, no fault of these children, but no father anymore. Dead. Uh, in India, recently there's been some bomb blast in Pune some time ago, uh, a city close by, where suddenly a bomb blast in the middle of a, a lot of a lot of people were there. Many people died. Many young, many old, many children. And everybody's crying. And I wonder, how do you handle such a time? How do you handle such a place where somebody is, somebody is just suffering? It's not their fault. They didn't do anything to make this happen, but they're suffering. Uh, let's read through. Let's read 
1 Samuel chapter 1. But before we read 1 Samuel chapter 1, may I just draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11. And that says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. When we read the Old Testament, we're reading. Oh, it's nice to stop there. That's good. All right. <laughs> so these things, what we're going to read about in the Old Testament, what we're going to read about in 1 Samuel, happened as warnings, happened as examples for us in this generation and now. So let's read it with that in mind. So 1 Samuel and chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathim, the Zephonite, so that up, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was, this is now 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Now up here. He had two wives, one was called Hannah. And the other was called Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Penina, instead of saying Penina, when we talk about her later, we'll call her Penny for short. Okay, are we up here? Verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from the town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hopni and Sinehaz, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkna, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and forget not and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. I just stop there and we'll just pray for a minute. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word is a sharp, two-edged sword of us. We thank you for speaking to us this morning, even through the worship, that you pour out your mercy, you reign, O God. We respond to you and say, have your way, Lord. Have your way. May your kingdom come in our lives, Lord. Bless us as we consider this, the life of Hannah and what happened to her, Lord. It's an example to us. It's something that we can receive so we can have faith in you when we go through our time. 
bless us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. From these verses, and a few which I'll read in chapter 2 as well, I have only two points to share. First is that she suffered for no fault of hers. Anna suffered for no fault at hers. She didn't do anything and she is suffering. What's the situation like? Well, the situation was, in verse 2, she was married and she was quite happy. Strangely, she was the second wife. She was wife number two in the marriage relationship. Well, in those days, you did, they did have two wives. And the first wife was Penina, which we're going to call a Penny. And the second wife was Hannah. Hannah had, uh, Penny had children, but Hannah had none, it says. Hannah had no children. Now, in today's day, maybe having no children wouldn't have a big problem to any one of us. But in those days, having children meant a lot. In fact, women were brought up to say, you need to have more children. The more children you have, the more blessed you are. The more blessed your family is. You're brought up to bring up your children and look after the children. Women were brought up to say, children are a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. It's a gift. And you must be blessed by having many, many children. Sadly, that's not the situation I hear today in England, where uh, I don't know who I heard it from, where it says that a child's most unsafest place today is in his own mother's womb. That's a sad state that it is where we are today. But that was not how it was for Hannah. She wanted a child. She was married happily and she wanted a child. Why couldn't she have a, why couldn't she have a child? Verse 5. Why couldn't she have a child? Anybody can read that and tell me? Why couldn't she have a child? Verse 5. The Lord had closed the womb. Now Hannah desperately wanted a child. Couldn't she have it? The Bible says the Lord closed her womb. And just in case you missed it, you forgot it, and you didn't read it in that verse 5, it says it again in verse 6. Have a read of verse 6. It says out there again. Anybody read it? Anybody? Because the Lord had closed the roof. Very good, it's up there. I'm going to get used to this thing up here. <laughs> Alright, because the Lord closed her womb. Now this is again, just in case you missed it. Now, she wanted a child. Perhaps they tried to have a child. Perhaps they did everything at the right time to have a child. But no child. Every month, perhaps they waited and hoped there would be a child. But no child. Uh, my wife and me, after getting married um, a year later, we decided we would like a child and uh, we know the pain a little bit of Hannah one month went by no baby next month went by no baby a couple of months went by and we began to become anxious wondering what's happened to us what's happened to our body what's happened to the situation we didn't know we began to ask praying I remember I, I wonder if Martin uh, John remember that time where we were, we were quite anxious no baby and it was troubling and so we feel a little bit, and I understand a little bit of what Hannah is going through. She wants this baby, but there's no baby. And why is there no baby? Because God has closed her womb. That is why she had no baby. Now, if that is not something uh, you sometimes go through, we want something. It should happen. Ordinarily, it should, ha should happen. Normally, it should happen. But it's not happening. 
perhaps a job, perhaps a marriage, perhaps some relationship, perhaps some, I don't know what kind of situations you might be going through as a student, as a young man, as a young person, as an elderly person. But it's a normal thing. It should happen. But it's not happening. And it's troubling and it's paining. And God would say, there's hope. There's hope. Now, if, just, if she just didn't have a child, that would have been good enough. But it gets worse. Read verse 6 again. Verse 6 again. Verse 6 again. And because the Lord had kept, had closed her womb, what's this? Her rival. Who's this rival? Penny. Kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, it's bad enough that she's going through this internal turmoil of not having a baby. On top of that, she's got Penny poking her. Penny poking. She's going on at her. Now, I, I wonder what it must have been like to live in the same house. One, one, one lady's got a lot of children and the other's got none. Breakfast, lunch, noon and dinner and, and tea time and traveling around. Every time it says that Penny was poking. How did it feel? How did it feel? It was agony for her. She was troubled. She was irritated. It was hard for her. Now, you might say, okay, one day is alright. One week is alright. How long did this go on? How long did Penny keep poking Hannah? Was six if we can have was seven now? This went on how long? Year after year. So now here's Penny poking. It's not dear Hannah. Hannah's desperately trying to have a baby. She's doing all that she can to have a baby, but God has closed her womb. And she cannot have a baby. And she is suffering. And it's not her fault. She can't do a thing about it. And she's in agony. She's in pain. And she's being tormented day after day, year after year. Now you, I don't know what kind of situations you must be going through. Are you going through situations where you are being tormented? Are you being troubled? Are you being in pain? And you can't do a thing about it. God would say, there's hope. There's hope. All of us are going to go through these kind of situations. Now, if that was not enough, okay, I'm troubled on the inside. Here's Pokey Penny. She's poking away for some time. Not only for now, but she's going on and on for a year. That would have been all right. But that's not enough. What happens further? What happens says, Verse 7. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Now what ha what's happening here? Hannah went up to the house of the Lord along with Penny. What used to happen in those days, at a particular time, a particular time of the year, all the families from everywhere would all kind of gather up to the, tem to the temple of the Lord. Together. All the families are together. So there's many, many uncles and grandmas and all the people from everywhere, all the clans, all the tribes are all trudging down to the temple. Now what Penny does? Penny starts saying to everyone, Hey, did you hear? Hannah has no babies still! <laughs> they giggle, they talk. Can you imagine Hannah? First of all, she's already in pain. Then she's in pain every day. Then every year. That is not enough. She's now being publicly humiliated. Publicly in front of everyone. 
everybody seems to know now that Hannah doesn't have a baby. There are no children. She can't do a thing about it. She's trying to do whatever she can. And why can't she have a baby? I need to remind you often, God wants you to know often, that God's the one that has closed the womb. And she's an acne. And often we feel we shouldn't suffer. And I feel sometimes we shouldn't suffer. We shouldn't go through difficulties and challenges and trials. But God doesn't see it that way. God closed her womb. Just closed her womb. And she is in agony. She's in pain. As often, she's humiliated. She's desperate. She is embarrassed. Now that is really very difficult. And some of us would say, that is too much. I'm sure she couldn't, she couldn't handle it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 goes on to say, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I remember a situation for me. Uh, uh, in, in India, I, you saw I'm in the south of India, middle, um, middle west of India. Uh, way over the north, the northeast is a place called Shillong and Meghalaya. And uh, we were going up there quite often to preach, preach and share and uh, serve the churches in the northeast of India. It's pretty far away. I say you used to take three days, three days of travel in the train to go to the place and you would spend about three or four days there and travel back for three days uh, back to Nasik. And I remember we had small children and we had booked our train tickets all the way up there. And then, uh, on the way back, suddenly there was a, there was a, some kind of uh, terroristic activity on the tra on the railway line, and uh, the trains were cancelled. Uh, suddenly, I didn't have any money. I was supposed to just get on the train and come back over these three days. And here I am. We are now lost in the middle of nowhere. Uh, with no money, and at that time, this is now uh, 15 years ago, uh, no um, uh, no phones, no mobile phones and all were that were there at that time, and uh, having to come back. I remember the trauma. What have we done to deserve this? We, I mean, we, we come to serve God here. I remember saying to God, I've come to serve you. We've had a good time of ministry here. The church is encouraged, and we're on our way back rejoicing, and the train is cancelled and I've got no other way of going back. You can't get another train. In India, if you've seen any, I should have put up a, a picture of the trains in India. People don't travel only inside the train. They travel on the doors, on the windows, on the top, in the front. And it says, uh, some statistics say that in India regularly 3,000 people die every year and nobody cares. Because that's how many people there are. So if I had to try and book my ticket, when I was there in, in Shillong to come back, it would have taken me three months more. But three months later was the only time I could have got a ticket to come back. And there was, I was so, I didn't know what to do. And I just remember that time. God, why and how come? By a miracle of it all, I don't know where and how, uh, my father, who uh, was not a Christian at that time, he suddenly heard about it and he said immediately, uh, I'm sending you uh, plane tickets to just come down. And this is after being out there for about three days. We were roaming around trying to get away of coming back to it, back to Nasa. 
<laughs> oh yeah, you got it. <laughs> and uh, after roaming around, I think my father gave me flight tickets to come back to Nasser. I remember that time. It was a short time. And I wonder how and why and how much. But dear old Hannah, and I don't know many of your situations. Maybe you are suffering. And you're saying, how long? How long? But God says to you, no temptation that seized you is only unique to you. It's common to us all. And when you're tempted and when you're struggling, when you're suffering, which God brings about, which is not your fault, He will make a way out from that. Now, look at this verse 5 now. You have verse 5 up. The 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 5. But to Hannah he gave a double portion. Now this is who's giving who a double portion? Hannah's husband is giving Hannah a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Now here is Hannah. She's in great agony. She's in great pain. But this is an interesting point here. That her husband really loved Hannah a lot. But the comforting husband couldn't comfort her enough. Verse 9. Verse 9. Oh, sorry, verse 8. Verse 8, verse 8. Ethna's husband would say to her, Hannah, darling, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And often we would think that a loved one would be able to comfort me. My husband, my wife. My, somebody who loves me, my mother, my father, my daughter, my child, my, somebody will comfort me. But as you can see, what happens to Hannah is she's going through such agony that this loving husband, no matter how much he loved her, was just not enough. She was just so distressed. She couldn't eat. She just couldn't eat. And I would say to you, some of us, when we are so distressed, we turn to lots of other means to try and find some comfort. Perhaps you turn to alcohol. Perhaps some of us turn to drugs. Perhaps some of us turn to just relationships everywhere. But those don't bring comfort. Those don't bring comfort to anyone. Here is Hannah. She's in agony. Perhaps her husband understands. Perhaps she doesn't. But she's in agony and her husband cannot comfort her. What happens to her is still further. Verse 10. Verse 10, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She now began to become bitter. She began to become bitterness, creeped into her heart. The pain was so much. It kept going on for so long. The ache was so much. She just began to become bitter. Nothing could bring her peace. She was desperate for a son. She was desperate for a child. She wanted a child. Now she wanted a child, perhaps she had reached a point not because she wanted to be a mother any longer. Not because she wanted to leave an inheritance for, her, for, for the future. Not perhaps because she wanted to bless her husband who loved her so much. Not because she was fearing God. She wanted a child. She desperately wanted a child because she wanted Penny to stop poking. She wanted Penny to stop provoking. She wanted Penny to stop troubling her. She wanted this to go away. She just felt this must stop and she was getting bitter. And in that thing, did she perhaps think of running away? Did she think of running away to some far away place where nobody's there? 
perhaps I'll find peace when nobody, I'll run away from the situation. That is not the answer. Running away from a place of being in suffering is not the answer. Did she think of it? We don't know. Did she think of killing herself? Perhaps that is the way out. I can't find a way out. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have this baby. It's not my fault. I can't do anything more. And this is going on and on and on. Perhaps I'll kill myself. Or better still, I'll kill Penny. Now, as I'm preparing this, I wonder whether this is a point to share among us as Christians and to say, you know that it is not God's will for you to kill yourself and it is not God's will for you to kill your enemies. But in this day of age where Molly and John and we were watching a movie yesterday, at the end of the movie, I said, well, it's a good spy movie and it was very good. Molly says, yeah, but 20 or 25 people got killed in the movie. And it didn't even occur to me so many people got killed. We just saw the movie, good one. <laughs> we are watching people being killed every day. And we often somehow feel that the answer is kill myself or kill the one who is hurting me. Like this morning's news. I don't know, there was a man that's supposed to have gone and killed somebody and, and then gone and shot a police officer in this morning's news itself. That's the answer. Killing yourself or kill the one around. That is not the answer in God. There is hope. There is a way. No matter what you are going through, no matter how difficult or how challenging it is, that is not the answer. God has a way. Now look at verse 11. Perhaps she was pushed to such a point and then she began to vow to God. She was praying bitterly. It says she was praying almost as if she was drunk. And then she said to God, Oh God Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a sign, then I will give him to you for all the days of his life. Give me a son and I will give him back to you. Give me a son and I will give him back to you. Is this the point where God wanted her to be in the first place? Don't know. But this is where he was, where she got pushed to. If you give me a son, oh God, if you give me this job, if you give me this marriage, if you give me that relationship, if you give me that course, if you give me this place, God wants to say to you, will you say, I'll give it to you if you give it back to me for my needs. Whatever your struggle, whatever the suffering, God said to Hannah, she reached the place, sorry, Hannah reached the place, but she said, whatever you give me, I'll give back to you. Now what Hannah did not know, now Hannah does not know this, that God had already decided before the foundations of the earth that Hannah would be the mother of a mighty man of God that would change the whole way of Judaism of that age. A mighty man. Who's that man? Amy knows that man? Samuel. Now Hannah didn't know this. Hannah was just suffering. She was just agony. But God had already planned that Hannah would be born to, uh, Samuel would be born to Hannah. This mighty man. This mighty man that was going to influence the whole of that area for years to come would come through this woman who is going through such agony. Hannah did not know that God had really caught her up into a huge 
big plan of his. But she's out there suffering and struggling. And perhaps you're out there suffering and struggling. I don't know what. I don't know where. I don't know how. But if you are, and it's not stopping, it's seeming to go on and on for years. Hold on, there is hope. There is hope. Now I was thinking of what kind of ways that you can suffer and it's not your fault. I suddenly thought of the type of body some people have. Some people in India, we are very cruel. If you're a bit short, they call you shorty. If you're tall, nobody says tolly. They say lambu in India. But they, they, they make fun of you. They make fun of you because of, your, if, of how you are. If you're tall, if you're short, if you're fat, if you're thin. They make a lot of fun of you. I remember in school, uh, when I was a young boy, my dad used to, uh, used to cut my hair very, very short. I hated it uh, when it was short, but it used to be very short. And uh, when my hair was short, my ears seemed to stick out like that. And uh, for some reason, everybody used to call me an elephant uh, because of my ears sticking out. But as I grew older, I suddenly looked in the mirror and saw that it's not my ears that stick out, it's my nose that sticks out. <laughs> but I was in agony and upset and irritated that my ears were so big. I don't know what kind of situation you are in. Perhaps some people are not so clever. Uh, people may call you nerd or, or a geek or whatnot, and you're, it's almost a bad thing to be too clever. It's almost good to be not clever and a fool. Oh, and that's the, and, and people are hurt one another. What about family background? I got some people in our church who's got such terrible family background. The parents are so terrible. Some children are so terrible. And the parents can't do anything about it. The children can't do anything about it. The relatives can't do anything about it. But they are suffering. Either they are embarrassed, or they are hurt, or they've got to pay large amounts of money because the child, or the, or the brother, or the uncle gets into debt, loads of debt. People are embarrassed, and they are suffering. And you can't do, there's nothing you can do. You try and stop, you try and stay, you try and do, but you're just suffering. And you can't do anything about it. Perhaps past terrible experiences, accidents, losses, failures. Perhaps your boss, or your colleagues, I don't know what. Have you reached a point of bitterness? Have you reached a point of suffering where so much? Some would say, I will ask me and I will, so that you can, and say to God, take it back. It's for you. It's about Him. This life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him and for His glory. The, all we have is for Him and for His glory. Have you reached a point of bitterness of soul? Have you reached a point where you can say, God, I'm asking you for this, but it's for you. The job, the relationship, the hope, the future, the house, whatever, it's for you. I'll give it to you. Okay, finally, what she believed held her through this time. Look at chapter 2 now. What she believed held her through this time. Another six or seven minutes and I'm through. What she believed held her through this time. How do we know what Hannah believed? She believed, we, we can hear and understand how people believe by what they pray. By the way, this, the worship times have been great and awesome. Sometimes 
you know, uh, before coming here, he says, what can you learn from just being out here with us? And I think you have an awesome church. I think it's just lovely in the worship, lovely prayers coming forth, lovely prophetic words of encouragement. Prayer meeting was awesome. You are an awesome church. And I'm so glad, so privileged to be here and be with you. It's just refreshing, encouraging, that the presence of God is with you so powerfully. How do I know what they believe? I can hear you pray. How do we know what Hannah believes? You hear what Hannah prays. And I'm just going to highlight four things of what I believe, or we can see what Hannah prayed and learn from them to handle this time of when we are suffering and it's not our fault and what do we do? What do we do? The first thing, chapter 2 and verse 2. You could, lot of, you could, you could just go through the whole, uh, whole prayer and learn a lot more, but I just want to see four things. The first thing is, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And the first thing Hannah has decided, that there is no other God other than the God of the Bible. And you need to decide that there is no other God other than the God of this Bible. You need to decide that there is no other God other than Jesus Christ who came down and died for your sins. You need to decide that. You need to come back in the time of suffering, in the time of agony. You've got to come back to Jesus in your mind. There are other gods that you turn to. You could turn to money and power of money. You could turn to just having power and position and think that will get you somewhere. But God will just close the womb up. God will just close it till you come back to him to say, there is no other God other than the God who made the heavens and who made the earth. There is no other God than Jesus Christ who came to die for your sins. There is no other. Only him. That will hold you in. And what's the difference? In India we have thousands of people and thousands of gods. But almost 300 million gods in India. Everyone, everywhere worships something or the other. People are going in hundreds for different to different uh, holy spots. Like you just saw, Nastik is just one of the many holy spots that hundreds and thousands of people will travel far and wide. And do you know what? They get healed. They get blessed. Things happen. But what they miss is their eternal life in heaven. They have no hope for the future. You must believe that there is only one way to heaven. And that way is through Jesus Christ. That's what Hannah believes. There is no other God. There is no one beside there is no rock like our God. That was the thing. The second thing, verse 6. The second thing, verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And that's what she believed. The Lord gives life and the Lord gives death. Life and death are not in your hands, not in my hands, not in the hands of the state, not in the hands of your enemies, not even in anyone's hands. Your life and death is in the hands of God himself alone. Nobody can kill you before the time. And nobody can make you live longer if God has decided it's enough. It's enough. Uh, I, I, the other, uh, some time ago I heard this amazing, tragic story in Nasek where uh, there was a young boy who was driving down the streets of Nasek uh, on a bike. He had he'd just drunk a lot of alcohol completely drunk and was racing down the streets racing down the street as he raced down there was a truck coming ahead of him he went 
smashed into the truck, dead on the spot. And you might say, serves him right. But now what happened? As he smashed into the truck, his hand banged out, his, his body banged here, his hand broke off from him and went swinging down. On this side, there was a Sadaji man on his scooter, driving very safely at the side of the road, going slowly at the side. The hand flew off the man, banged the man, fell down. Two days later, that man died. What? What did that man do to die? So, sure, the young fellow deserved to die. What about the old man? What the man was dying? What about the fellow on the scooter? Life and death is in God's you are not to be afraid of how you die and when you die or how you die some people say i'd like to die like this i don't want to die like that well you don't decide how you die you just decide how to live will you live for jesus <laughs> just live for him and that is in his hands he will take you when he has to take you okay verse three verse three do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. My third point, my first one, you decide in the signs of suffering that there is no other God. The second point, death really stares you in the face and you ought to say to death, my God is in control. When I die, it will be his decision, not mine or anyone. I'm not to be fearful, fearing of that. The third point is, the end of it. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him leads away. God knows. God knows your situation today. God knows your situation tomorrow. In fact, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. There are no surprises for him. Your life may be a surprise for you. Your future may be a surprise for you. But it is not for him. And you're safe in his hands. And he's planned. And he knows. In fact, he knows you so intimately, many of us are concerned about hair falling off our head. Every day in the bath, you might see a lot of hair falling and be concerned. You need to go get some particular shampoo or something to hold your hair back in. <laughs> but God would say, I know every hair on your head. And perhaps it is his will to pluck them off one one at a time. I don't know. But the Bible says he knows every hair on your head. How much more detail can God get to tell you that he knows everything about you? And that comforts you. I'm suffering. I can understand why. I'm trying to do my best. It's still not working out. What do you do? You come back to God and hold on to him. He knows best. In a worship time like this, in the middle of suffering, you worship and cry and say, Thank God, you know best. I can't understand it. I'm in pain, I'm in suffering, but I can rejoice. For my God reigns. My God reigns. Finally, my last point before I end. Same verse. Don't keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. She's praying this part away. Can you imagine this? Watch me. Don't you keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. Is she talking to God? <laughs> she's talking to God? Who is she talking to? Who is she talking to? I suggest. Is she talking to herself? Perhaps she had a son of a... I see myself. 
I killed Ben. I just ran away. I, I don't think God knows what he's doing. And perhaps in that phase, she's saying, Shut up! Don't talk proudly! Don't be arrogant! God knows! Who's she talking to? She's talking to herself. And perhaps you and me need to learn to talk to yourself a little bit. To say to yourself when you talk rubbish and you think rubbish, to say, shut up, you're thinking rubbish. Stop thinking truth. Stop thinking truth. You need to talk to yourself. And that's how Hannah handled it. And perhaps you need to handle it that way. Are you thinking, and you, some, some of us let our minds just go wherever. We go berserk. We just go berserk and mad. Uh-huh. So I remember something, uh, some, somebody heard about, uh, I don't know the full, I should have, I should have dropped it. Uh, illustration with me but something about a man heard some story about about his wife uh, and the whole day he was just mulling over it and mulling over it and you know getting angry and angry and, and more and more working himself up with it and when he went back home he just blasted, you know got sick over her and mad about it and then when he when she finally told him uh, she had nothing to do with it she suddenly realized what a waste of time he kept thinking of some some wrong direction wasted and some of us do it that way we just keep thinking in the wrong way and you need to know stop talking rubbish stop thinking rubbish begin to think the word of God to yourself declare the word of truth to yourself my God reigns my God knows my God is the only God there is no other way other than the way of the Bible and you finding some way to God. God would say to you today, if you are in a painful time of suffering, you don't know what to do and how to handle it, well, you need to believe, like Hannah. If you're not a Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to give your life to Jesus and make him your personal Lord and Savior, saying that Jesus Christ alone is my God, and I believe that only he paid the price for my sin, and I am going to heaven because only Jesus has made the way for me. There is no other God. You need to decide that. You need to come to peace in yourself, saying, I have life or death because God gives it to me. He knows everything about me. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And begin to plan to start arguing yourself out of the rubbish that you think and begin to start thinking and talking the truth, the Word of God. Amen. I pray for you.